sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whenever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. Back with you on a Metal Time Rhea podcast, episode 170 of the Hordes of Chaos. That was based, second to none, doing Entombed AD cover there. Uh, great stuff there. Um, a lot of great music to get to today, a lot of new stuff, as well as some good topics. We've got our retro movie vault pick of the week. I actually had just gotten that in, so that was kind of fun for us to go watch that. You had ordered it? I don't even think I knew you ordered it, and it, it just, like, popped up, and we're like, oh, oh, we should watch this. this well, it's be funny, because, like, I ordered it, and then I ordered another one, I thought when it came it was going to be the one that I was expecting, which is Tentacles, uh, but it ended up being, I forgot that I ordered the Black Lagoon, it was a triple pack, so 
and it was like a good price. I'm like, I think it was on sale. And it had, well, we'll get to this when we, we get to um, our retro pick, but it wasn't just like the movie. It came with so much more. So it the was... bonus features. It had the bonus features. <laughs> Kick it out of our crib. <laughs> We're also going to talk about the boys' uh, first three episodes that are out there. <laughs> and boy, was it a doozy. You can say things certainly exploded. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think it just like took me by surprise more than anything. Like I, we just were watching, and it was right at the beginning. Like I was not ready for it. <laughs> Does that make right. any sense? Yeah, I mean, for really, it's a really good series. Like I think I still have to try to show Neko Invincible because. Even though it's a cartoon, it has a very similar vibe to The Boys mm -hmm. in terms of violence and whatnot. So I, that first episode of Invincible is kind of like, okay, well, this looks like your standard superhero type stuff. And then it got towards the end, I'm like, oh, my God. You're like, what the fuck? Right. I'm like, holy shit. They didn't hold back. Uh, and then we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, actually two docs. And then I'm going to give you an update on the Amber Heard uh, death thing. They all tie in certain ways, and we'll get into all that. Uh, but we're going to kick it off, though, with our first block of music, all coming from some promotional and labels that have sent us some stuff from Inverse, Grand Sounds, and Hard Light Promotions. But from Inverse Records, this is Neil Before the Death, Woo! called Sunken.
What's up everyone, this is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. Okay, we are back. Yes we are. Gonna talk a little bit about the couple docs, but before we get into all of that... For those that don't know, the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial has come to an end. There was a verdict. Uh, people want to say it was kind of unanimous, and it was for the most part for Johnny Depp, but Amber Heard did win one of her positions when Johnny Depp's lawyer came out and said her claims were a hoax. The, the jury awarded her $2 million for what they called uh, basically defamation on that part for her. Uh, Depp won $10 million on his part. He was seeking 50, she was seeking 100 million, but there's no way either one of them was going to get that. Uh, but that was sort of just like a tick for tack type thing. They're kind of like, oh, I'm going to. And I think that that's what happens, excuse me, um, with like the judicial system, period. 
like you'll say well I want 50 million well I want 100 million and you just have to like start big because you know it's going to start dwindling down yeah. right yeah it's it's sort of like when you go after a certain like if you're going to charge somebody for a murder or let's say you know that someone killed somebody in manslaughter but you're going to go for the murder charge because you know it's going to get knocked down to something depending on how much proof is there uh, but this trial was very interesting. I've been going. He's been following it very closely, and I, I understand why because he and I both talk about this a lot. Um, men's mental health and men being abused are just never people never take it seriously. We we've watched documentaries again on men being you know physically abused mentally abused and when the men speak out and say hey you know i'm having a problem i'm i'm being abused they get laughed at or you know this this little five foot two person is abusing you how is that possible so nobody really wants to take take it seriously and granted Johnny and Amber were in this like really toxic relationship anyway, so it's it's hard to like separate the the toxic right. element with the real, you know. But and it's not even necessarily putting Depp in the innocence light either. I mean, it's we can't really say for sure whether or not he actually assaulted her. I mean, there was a couple instances where he said he had headbutted her by accident. Whether or not that's true, we don't know, but. What we're learning, sorry, I keep cutting you off, I'm, I apologize, but what we're learning is Amber is really good at storytelling. Mm -hmm. She she just started embellishing on everything that happened on top of doing some really shitty things. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended to Johnny. Um, but w we... I guess you're saying it's a shit show. It's a shit show. <laughs> we we are on the side of anyone who feels they are a victim of abuse. Like this is not, you know, men versus women. It's everybody should not abuse everybody. That that's the bottom line. Yeah, and, and I, yeah, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this particular ticket thing because, like I said, it's been talked about a lot to me. But here's the thing, like. One of the things that I see in the mass media is they keep making excuses that uh, this is victim blaming for her and that this ruins Me Too. And I'm just here to tell you it doesn't. Uh, this particular situation, people try and make it larger than it is. This is about two people, two Hollywood elites. And I know some people shrug off like, why do we care about these two Hollywood elites? Well, technically we don't. But they are human, and they do face similar issues that the rest of us in, in the regular land face. Uh, but this was about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, and you have to go by this trial, not what's going on with like Britney Spears, Janice Jack or Janet Jackson, or anybody else. Those are different circumstances. Very different, different circumstances. So the next two topics that Nick and I will talk about is going to go back to where women are the victims, and that we need to take those more seriously. I just wanted to point this out with what happened with Depp and Heard isn't reflective of what we're going to talk about or the other cases that we just pointed to because, as Neko said, men can be victims and we have to take that seriously. So for Depp, this was all about getting his reputation back more than anything. Like, he had lost a couple of years and, again, Amber had said, you know, she wanted Johnny to leave him alone. Well, she's already appealing this verdict so she clearly doesn't want to let go 
but the cool thing about Depp is he's now saying, all right, you drop the appeal, I'll drop the $8 million suit against you or whatever it was. Really? Then, I didn't hear that. So he's willing to just drop the... Yeah, um, his, his lawyers are smart. They're like, okay, you, you can't pay the $10 million to him, so what we'll do is we'll drop that if you drop the appeal. And so then they can go their separate ways and do whatever they need to do. Uh, and that's smart. Because, you know, Depp, I mean, I don't think either one really want to go back into court. This is this is just something for her who's very stubborn. Uh, the evidence that I saw from following this trial, I watched it a lot daily. Different lawyers on mm -hmm. YouTube and in the media talked about this. Experts, I'm not, but they were. And, you know, it, it all was pretty simple to me. Uh, Heard side had a lot of hearsay and speculation, while Depp had a lot of people that actually eyewitnessed her assaulting him. We have audio evidence of her uh, saying that no one's going to believe him if he goes to the public. We've had her admit on the UK thing uh, on a piece of video that she leaked a video to the TMZ to get them to come to the courthouse and take pictures. So there's a lot there that doesn't add up with her. So even if you do believe that Amber Heard could be a victim, she wasn't able to prove it in court here in the U.S., so we'll just leave it at that. That's that's the, that's that particular case. But now we're going to talk about Undercurrent. It's a doc on HBO Max as well as Keep Sweet, uh, Pray and Obey, which is on Netflix. Now, both docs are different, but they both point to similar problems with when it comes to women and violence and trafficking and everything else. So which one do you want to start with first? I, I think I want to start with... Um the documentary on Kim Wall. Okay. Undercurrent. Yep. Mainly because everything we're talking about, the all of these legal issues are all very different. Kim is very different than Amber Heard. Kim, though, is also a not a celebrity, but she is a very was, excuse me, a very um, go-getter journalist well-known journalist in some highly respected she was freelance so mm -hmm. she didn't just belong to one particular um yeah, i think she wrote for like the washington post the times uh the atlantic yeah she did some stuff for cnn so everything that she did these were her own personal ideas these were things that she worked really hard like this particular a story she was working on was for Wired. And Wired, if you didn't know, they are a, a technical mm -hmm. um, magazine and an online like computer journal. Computer and tech, yeah. So Wired actually did a, a mini documentary on my company too while we were, you know, they toured our ship and, and did a little, you know, blurb about us. What Kim was looking at was this, this guy who... <laughs> The best way to describe him, he was kind of like the Danish Elon Musk, right? You know, he, basically, yeah. He was very eccentric. His name was Peter Madsen, and over in you know Scandinavia, people really knew him because he he had built his own rocket. He had built multiple submarines, and he was very eccentric. People thought he was, you know, really intelligent and he somehow got funding to do all of these things through, you know, business deals, etc. So he built the Nautilus, which was his, his jewel. It was his prized jewel. 
And Kim, she was living in Denmark at the time, right? And it was right, it was in Copenhagen. And she was literally getting ready to leave and go live in China with her then fiance. But she was like, this is a really great story I can take advantage of before I move. So I want to get this done for Wired. Everybody wants to hear about this, you know, Peter Madsen guy. He had his own personal biographer. There was already a lot of press around him and Wired wanted to kind of like grab that low-hanging fruit and with Kim living there it was the perfect opportunity for her. She was only 30 years old and she had already been all around the world. She had been to North Korea. She was in South America. She was really the type of journalist who wanted to put herself right in the action and I admire that because she had a lot of guts. I, I don't know if I would be able to go to North Korea and try to like do interviews and stuff but what I, I really love about this is she's you know she's the next generation of journalism um, she's following behind like Christiane Amapur and kind of breaking the mold that these that women are just kind of your okay we're the weather girl or okay we're we're a news anchor and we sit at a desk or we're gonna go cover something cute like the carnival and you know I love seeing she again she is freelance everything she did she came up she paid for herself all of her own you know plane tickets she wrote herself she shot the photographs herself she shot the video she tweeted she went on Instagram. Everything she did was like branding herself. So she is in one of the safest cities in the entire world, Copenhagen, interviewing somebody who she thinks is going to be a benign, like easy, we're gonna go for a ride in his submarine and be back in two hours. And then she goes missing. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, I've read some different articles, and actually, there's a couple articles on both docs, but some of them say that, like, there was a Danish journalist, another writer who saw the doc from the U.S., because apparently the one for Undercurrent was written and directed here. Uh, she said that it was a little weird, but we, so many arguments on these people he's making, these two docs, uh, I'm going to challenge a little bit, uh, but for different reasons, but the Danish person said that, you know, and he, they spent more time on Madsen, who was the perpetrator of the offense, rather than Kim Wall. And to some degree, I agree, but at the end of Undercurrent, we saw that they did say, you know, there was a, I forget who it was. The, uh, they interviewed lots of Kim's right. journalist and friends. And she said the same thing. She's like, you know, I wish they would have spent more time talking about Kim and who she was and how great she was compared and to Marsden. But I think what, I think what they mean in the big picture is this horrible case is overshadowing Kim's career. Right. But I think that's the other thing. It's always a thing, well, we talk about it all the time. The public media, I, I see it today, like, uh, and I'm guilty. Look, we're all guilty of this, okay? I saw a news bit. It said, oh, a 12-year-old girl to hit, hit and run, caught on video. Uh, it was like about 30 to 40 seconds. What do I do? I click on the fucking video because, you know, curiosity gets the better of me. I wanted to see what happened. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but then I say to myself, it's like, okay, but why is it whenever I pull up uh, a media page, I'm like, it's all negative news. I'm like, where are all the good news stuff? Why do I not hear about the good things that humanity does? You get occasionally get it. But then, like, 90% of it is negative. But then I say to myself, this is what they do. This is... Mm-hmm. The the newscasters and the media, this is what sells. And I can't explain why. It's it's not... I don't think people seek out negative things, but we're so drawn to it. It's why when you drive down a highway and there's an accident on the other side, we're so fucking so busy. Well. Yeah, we're so busy looking across to see the mayhem that we're just like... We know paramedics are there. Why not just let mm-hmm. them do their job and keep driving? But we can't help ourselves. But that's the case with these these docs and stuff. And you know, it's it's unfair because you want to talk about the good things about people like Kim Wall because she was a really good journalist and she was very uh, spirited and passionate about her job. Uh, people have talked really high about her, coworkers and such. But then there's, like, this other part of it where we're trying to fucking understand how this guy who is similar to Elon Musk, whether it's narcissism or an ego or whatever, like, what drives him to do something like that? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because, you know, Nick and I are watching this, and I made a comment. I said, you know, it's weird that this guy, as smart as he was, did not... Like, everything was premeditated. We knew that. We found that out, but... When he finally committed the thing, everything he did leading up to his capture was like a rookie. Like, he just, he didn't, even though they believe he might have done it before, but I'm sitting there going, he never thought anything out here. He, he, there are cameras everywhere. He claimed first that he dropped her off, which the cameras on the docks never caught him coming back. Uh, then he said that she hit her head on the top of the... One of the hatches. The, the hatches submarine, and... When they finally recovered the rest of the body, because it was cut up, uh, which you know, I don't think they ever really explained why he ended up cutting the body and tossing it in the water. He just said, "Yeah, it killed her," so I just threw her away. And I'm like, "Well, well you cut the body up. What, what's the point there?" Uh, maybe you couldn't lift her up. I don't know, but that would that would have been his reasoning, I guess. Well, from what they um, when they were speaking to like the Danish police and the Danish Coast Guard and the maritime people. In the legal system there, and I, I couldn't re- remember if they he was tried in Denmark or Sweden. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Denmark. But no, he was tried in Denmark. Yeah, you're allowed to change your story, <laughs> and that's that's the thing. They kept saying he they knew he knew he could change his story. Now, granted, which makes sense because they kept coming back. So okay, well he's changed this, and so now we got to disprove that. And that's that's the reason why he was doing it because of their judicial system. Like we're we're here, you need to have your story straight because then they're just going to start pulling at threads and take apart your story. Well, apparently over there, it's like no, this is how it happened. I've changed my story, or this is how it's happened. So they have to kind of like scrap their whole um, legal defense or prosecution and say, okay, now we're going after this defense or we're going to prosecute based on this story that he's told yeah so once like i said once they got her head and everything they were in trash bags no less uh i didn't i said this is like dexter yeah like, very much <laughs> and so they found out her head was not bashed and her head showed any signs of tra- head trauma we well, gotta realize first 
This went on for months. Yeah. And the first thing that they found was a torso that washed up. And as they were finding these, it was only a few bags that they actually found, but they deployed divers. They actually had um, oceanographers who were well-versed in the currents of the different oh, yeah, areas. Got that expert we thought was uh, he looked like Liam, Liam Neeson. Neeson. Yeah. <laughs> I got a special set of skills. I got a special set of skills. I can find bodies and currents. <laughs> but he he had like you weighted down these bags. Like he they, that's why you could tell it was very premeditated because he had actually taken things to weight bags down. They never thought that they would be found again. But I think it was uh, maybe 50 days, 58 days is when they the torso washed up. And that's when they they really started, like... Because that was after you said he dropped her off, mm -hmm. that that happened there, yeah. That's when the whole, like, the stories were changing, and, and again, look at us right now. This is kind of, like, to the point we were saying earlier. We're picking apart this horrible crime, and we're not, like, celebrating you know kim's really amazing journalistic career well we're getting ready to get to some of that because some of the things pointed out and this is what we're kind of getting to with this is that one thing kim and this could lead to why kim went on this trip alone is that she was also very big on uh, social justice and women's rights and stuff like that so she's was basically saying uh, why is it that women can't be taken seriously as journalists or uh, if when it comes to work, like she was basically putting out there the same things we hear all the time about women not being taken seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, and so at this point, this is kind of like you know, Neck and I were talking and watching. It's like, man, you know, if I'm that boyfriend, I'm not letting her go on that thing alone. But you know, as Neck would point out to this woman, as a journalist, had been to far more dangerous countries and and more dangerous situations that could have ended badly, but she was fine. So you would think nothing would happen with going some rich dude who has a submarine. That has been widely reported on already. Right. And, you know, documented. Like, this guy was very popular in, in Denmark, and it wasn't like he was some nobody. Everybody knew who he was. And the, the thing, to your point, he would have never done this to a, a male journalist. Nope. At all. And, you know, they started digging deep into his, like, personal life and found that he had really been into snuff films he had tried this with other people but they had told him no because he really wanted to take someone onto his his boat and yeah. or excuse me submarine and take advantage of them now the murder i'm not sure was completely I think it was kind of premeditated, but I think he really just wanted to have sex on his submarine. But when he started getting turned down a lot, and probably Kim, who is just a 30-year-old pretty girl, he thought he could just, the ego, he could just Well, they have said that way. he had bought some of the supplies that he had before the trip. So they were pretty sure that he was planning on doing something. Um, you know, whether the murder was just something afterwards like it didn't go right what he left thought it might happen or whatever but yeah uh it's pretty clear that you know this guy something was wrong he was watching crazy shit on on his computer that they found later and even when he's in prison like when they interview him he's still like he starts saying like you know 
people who were putting all this pressure on me. This is what led me to do this. Well, they he, they also um, they also dug deep into his his personal um, like with his past with his parents and his father, and he you know they were again there is no excuse believe me for mm. killing someone, but they were trying to show in this documentary and he himself was kind of saying when they were interviewing him in prison like how does someone suddenly become a mass murderer when I've never done it before he, he had a, a really bad upbringing and again is that okay? No, no and that's the thing like far too often we and that's that is sort of the problem with you know, psychologists and all this other because they try to turn and say, well, the reason why this person did this is because of their upbringing. But, I mean, look, we all have things in our childhoods that aren't the most great. I mean, I'll say my childhood wasn't the most ideal, uh, especially from a mental standpoint, from my stepfather. But, I mean, I could have chosen to be a lot like that or just not be like that at all, and I chose not to be like that. And you also... Um I think for a long time you personally just kind of do a lot like me where there are things that maybe did not go well with your parents and you just are like I going to prefer to keep my relationship with my parents rather than completely cut them off not saying like my parents are they're fine they're great they're wonderful but we have like different views on things so instead of me arguing with my parents I just let them talk and ignore them the things that were happening with dj anubis um he has chosen not to blame his parents and and force like anger on them for some of the things like going to christian boarding school <laughs> and right you're you I mean you're you you are being the better person you're being the bigger person and it did affect you but you were not out there chopping up animals or people and throwing them over. <laughs> yeah, and, and some stuff you can say affected me. I mean, I internalized some stuff. There was stuff that we found out about my ADHD that came up after the fact that we discovered. So, I mean, there's other factors. So, I mean, I'm not putting no blame on my upbringing, but it's like I can choose whether or not to let that consume me. Um, and I'm not, because, like, even you and I, when we talk about the things that happened with my dad, why my mom's still there. Well, I understand why she's still there, because it's so late in her life that's like... She didn't think she could go forward alone. Right. It's it just, who wants to start over like that? Now, some people were forced to. Your grandfather was one of them. Uh, he remarried and everything, so he was able to do that. Some but he people... was also, I mean, he was, like, 53. Your mom was 60, but your mom also... Um, she was not self-supported so, yeah self-supported and she i think was just so used to being the submissive right right and that, and that's because of her own life growing up she's much older than i am so uh so i mean there are different things there with that uh but yeah so kim wall like yeah i get it where they probably could have said more glowing things about her but i think the whole idea was how this guy tried to manipulate everybody in believing 
he had no nothing to do with her murder or anything like that. So it was very intriguing. And that's the thing about people. We try to figure out why this happens. So in some aspects, I say, well, it's not really glorifying him, but just trying to understand it. But then on the other, I'm like, yeah, we probably should be concentrating more on the people that are gone because those are the people that deserve more attention than what we're giving to the predators. So then we're going to flip over to... Uh, Keep sweet, uh, pray and obey, which is a whole different these, set of these shit. These poor women are <laughs> not even allowed to have an education. Like Kim, she she graduated from what was it, Columbia, master's degree at Columbia, a very prestigious, you know, university. She had, you know, had this opportunity to learn about the world. She had the whole world to pretty much go into. She had that freedom. These ladies. Uh, who were under... It's basically a cult like the David Koresh thing in Waco. Um, you have this guy, Warren Jeffs, who's taken over for this long-time uh, preacher of this group. What do they call him again? Uh, the Fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. Yeah. So they say FLDS. They're a subsect of Mormons. Right. So they so kind of split off from yeah, regular Mormons. they're kind of like the extremist Mormons who believe... In the old Mormon teachings. Now, if you've ever seen the show Big Love on HBO, kind of think about when uh, they they had the compound, and then there was families still living on the compound, but then like the main family didn't live on the compound, and they they lived the fundamentalist li life, but without the abuse of. Um, the women like the women in uh i forgot the damn it's it's bill paxton like right in, in his family he wanted his women to have like a very active parenting role he wanted them to one went back to college you know one was a nurse they were actual like he wanted them to that was the regular that's the regular society, yeah he was raised in that society and he was actually kicked out, which is something we saw in this, that a lot of the young men were kicked out because they had nowhere to go. They had nothing to do with them because they're giving all the young women to the old men. Yeah, uh, yeah. so it was very twisted because the, the whole goal of this particular sect was uh, the women would marry the men. And the more women you had, the higher stature you would have within the actual uh, when you community. Go to, it's, it's not so much just the community, but the people... It's, it's like a fucking Mormon mafia. The higher stature you are, the higher that you are in the prophet, who is the head of this community's eyes, he will... He's the one who blesses the marriages. He assigns which women go to which men. Yeah, it's no not, choice. You don't have yeah, any choice. It's not like you got two people who fall in love and it's like, okay, have some kids. It doesn't work that way. So these old men, I'm, I'm talking old, like 80-year-old men are marrying 12-year-old women. Yep. And, it's, and that's where the problem arises because early in the, I think it's two epi four episodes in this, and the cops say, you know, look, their, their way of life isn't what we're challenging or religious freedom. It's what happens with the other stuff, which is all these underage girls mm -hmm. being uh, sleeping and raped, basically, by these older men. But there was something that was said about... Forced into consummating marriages that aren't even legal. Right. But there was something said at one point where the men in this 
sect, like, once they die, they go to be, like, gods or to the heaven or whatever it is they're going to. But the you, women, they say they couldn't have an answer for what happens to them in the afterlife. And as Neko said, the women were never granted any kind of education. They were always kept... They the, got up to, like, fourth grade. Like, right. they could read, they could write. But the big thing was um, Rulon. He was the main first he was, one. He was the father. Right. And... He was the first prophet, and everybody adored him. He had, you know, he had his rules, and he did, like, some of the shady shit, but he was kind of loose. There were women who, who were teaching. There were women who were learning to be nurses. There were women who were doing all kinds of things. Yes, Rulon was the prophet, and yes, they were putting you know, young women with, with people they didn't want to be with and underage women, but Rulon kind of didn't, he, he did that, but the women's role still seemed kind of important to him. Mm-hmm. Besides just being mothers, he didn't close them out and he wanted them, yes, to be, be, what was it? Keep sweet, pray and obey. That was his big thing. But women were pretty much allowed as long as you were following the modesty rules you could wear whatever you wanted you could wear jeans and a long sleeve t-shirt they just had a modesty thing where you needed to be covered from like your neck down um but Warren Warren, his son he convinced everyone that he was basically ruling reincarnated through his son to be the next prophet but Rulon really took this as a power trip and really took his advantage to stop schooling. Um, there was no like outside books. The science books were just neutered. There was nothing about the universe. There were there were things in there. Um, anything you wanted to read had to be, you know, put through the Rulon's test. And this is not like back in the '60s. This is the early 2000s, where the internet is available, where there's lots of magazines, but these, this group is so um, segregated, and I mean physically too, like they chose to be far away from a lot of society that most people, like DJ Anubis said, were just like, oh, they're weirdos, we're just going to let them live their life, but then when... Um, when there were some members who started running away. Well, that's that's what I was going to get to. The hardest thing while watching this series is you, you watch it, and this is one thing that I was struggling with, is I'm like, why are they just not running away? Well, this is where the brainwashing and the, the lack of education comes in because these women and, and some men have no clue what's going on in the outside world. They have no nothing. clue. There's All no they're being taught is that nothing. the outsiders are evil. You cannot trust them, can't mm-hmm. be around them. So if they try to run, that's like a bigger fear because it's the unknown. They're like, where do I even go? Right. So I think what really started happening was when um, Warren started ostracizing a lot of people, especially the young men, kicking them out. They had nowhere to go, but they started figuring things out. Now, you've got these gigantic families with, like, 30 wives and 62 children, and a lot of the brothers are being, you know, tossed away. That's one of the other big things is that Rulon, when he put people together, 
you know, it, it was definitely by his doing, but Warren started actually teaming up sisters with cousins and brothers, and there's like this incest thing that was starting to go on, and people were really questioning that. Rulin, um, he started the whole, like, hierarchy with, you know, you get the more wives that you have, that means when you go into the hereafter, you all of your wives go with you, all of your children go with you, it makes you, like, in higher standing. Um, Warren started taking control of everybody's everything. So his placement of brides was almost like, um... It's like a setup. Yeah, like a negotiation. Power, power. Yeah, it was a, it was a <laughs> negotiation. Like, granted, I'm not saying that Rulin, what he was doing is, is... Great. <laughs> great. But what, what Warren started doing was he gave certain people bishop status and all the wives then all these young men were being ostracized and these young women who aren't even allowed to kiss or hug or anything any other man they can't even date so they don't know what dating is and then they you know at 14 get placed with whoever and are forced to consummate their sex and their marriage and it, it, it just was, but this is kind of like really what Warren was doing for his top people. For whatever reason, and there's always records, that started becoming the downfall. Um, as, we, as we said, there was ostracized young men and two sisters in particular who their brother had been ostracized. They just couldn't handle it. Like, they were a little bit more spirited. Um, yeah, they said they were wild kids, wild <laughs> girls. And that's why they, the one in particular was 14 when she was forced to marry her second cousin. Mm -hmm. And she said she went to Warren many times crying, saying, I don't think this is, you know, my path, et cetera, et cetera. She got pregnant a few times, miscarried. And Warren was just basically telling her she, she, that she's not doing her job as a mother, as a woman, to carry these children to full term. Um, just making, and because you gotta realize, they're not taught anything about reproduction. They're not, they did not even uh, know what sex right, was. Right, until the moment it happened. They were like terrified and mortified. So when you have the prophet telling you that you're the problem for causing these miscarriages, not like, oh, maybe there was a legitimate medical problem that they're not getting any medical help for. It, it's really, really shocking. So her brother basically had been ostracized and I think was was she's the one where she had met someone else. She ran. Ruby, yeah, Ruby liked another guy who wasn't part of, wasn't somebody she was destined to be with, according to Warren. But Ruby had married that dude, but then she ended up running away and getting out because someone she knew on the outside took her in. But then they sent the guy that she really liked and wanted to be with to go retrieve her and made the promise that, oh, if you bring Ruby back. Now, the reason why Warren freaked out is because he knows that Ruby was about 14 when she was married off. So he was paranoid that she would go to the authorities, bring them there, 
So he sent this other guy that he knew that she really liked because she had told him all this. They, they wanted to be together. So he says, well, you bring her back. I'll let her marry you. Well, they get her back. He kicks that guy out, mm-hmm. never to be seen again, and puts the girl back with whoever she was married with. I think it was an older guy. It was. It was. And um, she, Ruby was like, you know, I have seven children, but and I love them all. But I, but had, it, I didn't I, have a choice. I, I didn't have a choice. Yeah. And you see Ruby now probably in her 30s 40s and she has all of her children out like she's out out and she's not with her husband anymore nope. and they interviewed the guy too and he didn't realize that he was being set up he was being lied to and i think ruby in one point is kind of thinking to herself that he was in on it yeah and he found has, a lot of guilt she, about yeah, it. he has a lot of guilt and she has like no forgiveness like save for him yeah it's it's tough it's tough for him because even at the moment he explains as he's being he's telling that story he's like you know warren's telling me that she'll be with me but like i'm sitting there thinking to myself i can't trust this guy but he never follows up on that feeling he just continues to go get her because he's told to right that's all it is and that's again he's the same way like it wasn't just women men who go out they don't know where to go uh, they eventually find their way, I'm sure. Once those men are gone, they eventually find a, a path or figure out what to do when they're out there. But really, when they first get out there, I'm sure they're like, this is like a whole new world. I have no idea what to expect here. And um, Elisa, I think it was, Elisa and Becky are the sisters I was uh-huh. speaking of and that the brother had been ostracized. Um, Elisa was the youngest, right? Yeah. And she was the one where... She she was the key to starting opening all because she was 14 and they had proof that she was 14 and forced into a marriage with her second cousin and forced to um, be raped by this guy and forced to um, consummate her marriage. And there was this was not even a legal marriage kind of thing. Yeah, it should be noted the first time that when Ruby escaped and got back, uh, Warren packed up everybody that he could and took them to Texas. So then that started like a whole other thing where Elise became a bigger uh, thing there for that. Because uh, that was uh, Zion. Yeah, F- the FBI would already was already on the radar for Warren, but they had a hard time really pinning him down for stuff. So the first time they actually got him was for an accessory to rape uh, on Elise. I uh, forget how they found out they had the secret room uh, with all the records. Well, that's when they they pulled Becky and Elisa. Yeah, Becky had the information. Because she, she had escaped, too, and she, was, she felt very guilty because... Um, she left her behind. She left, you know... I mean, I, some of these people, their mothers and... I think they even she even met that even now her mom doesn't talk to her. Yes, they're, they're you're like ostracized. You can't speak to your family, and she knew that there were records, and that was basically what the FBI needed to know. And they had found like this hidden vault. Yeah, if you ever uh, want to see something scary <laughs> in real life. Check this doc out because the, the place they have is a temple and it has a secret room with stairs. I mean, it's very much what you would see in a horror film. It's bright. It's not like doesn't have satanic crosses or anything, but it's bright. You go into a big white room and then there's a fucking room with this bed. 
and this is where they would take some of these younger girls and mm -hmm. this is where they would rape them but of course Warren he's for whatever reason they audio taped this stuff so he's very narcissistic he thinks he's higher than the law so he's explaining to these girls you know this is for God and love making and so they get but they found this room and all the records that Neko's talking about with the ages and this is this is the, the, the red gun that they have the red herring they're like this is what's going to send this guy and to prison it, it, for life. And he even kept detailed records of who was assigned to who and when they were assigned and their ages and everything. And it was behind a vault. Like, they, the FBI sat and tried to crack the vault for hours. Yeah. And then finally they started jackhammering it and then... It got quiet. It was just interesting the way that the, the girls were there and they, they said it just got quiet. And they went into the room and they said there were thousands of hard drives and millions of pieces of paper and that was their evidence and they knew. Um, yeah, even before the cops got into that little building uh, where all this stuff was, they had mentioned there was a guy outside crying. He was pleading with God to strike the FBI down before they can get in there. That just tells you how strong the brainwashing was. Like this guy knew there was there was evidence in there that could like destroy them, but he would rather have God strike down the law enforcement to protect these girls than to be ousted for the criminals they are. And on the other side too, this um this Zion that Warren had built. If you were at, you know, the compounds, you wanted to be quote unquote good enough as a child to be sent to Zion and get the proper upbringing and this is where everything is supposed to be perfect, etc. These children were often taken in, in the middle of the night away from their mothers and they did not get to see their parents again. Their parents would remain on the compound and the children would go to Zion, which is where, like, the special grooming would yeah, take place. Yeah, that's what we were kind of leading to with this is because there was still some left back in Utah, and what happened was... In Arizona. Arizona, sorry. Always, Utah's always... Well, they were in Utah, but then they... Migrated They down migrated to down to Arizona. But what Warren was doing was taking these kids from these mothers trafficking them to uh, Texas in Zion and that's where Necro says they are grooming them and it the, the whole purpose too was all of these areas um, Short Creek in Arizona El Dorado was that El Dorado um, yeah El Dorado yeah. in Texas, Texas. these yeah. are small small communities so something that could fly under the radar for a long time and what happened was there there was a, a particular, you know, journalist who really took to these and was following it from Utah to Arizona oh, yeah. to... Um, he was hounding them he hard. He was hounding them hard, and then a few other people were picking it up. So, on a hoax, somebody actually called Child Protective Services... <laughs> saying and and it was a hoax but i mean i'm sure somebody really was concerned it wasn't anybody 
inside. It's probably a one time that a hoax turned out good because that's when the cops and authorities. It, it was arrived. it was a hoax because the person who called said that they were 16 years old living inside the compound and they were being abused and forced to do things. So that's what actually got the foot into the door more than anything. However, Warren, he's in jail already because of the the accessory to rape yeah. charge. And he is directing people from jail and actually still is to this day directing people to keep this, you know, fundamentalist thing going on, directing people from jail. Well, apparently Spinmaster Warren had and this fucking Oprah Winfrey went and visited the compound because Oprah was so sad for these poor yeah. innocent women who their children had been taken away. This is the power of the media here because Warren was smart enough to get people to go on air to these talk shows and to the media and say how Inside the ATF, his compound. Yeah, inside AT his compound. ATF and the police came in, stole these kids, and are doing mean things to them. The funny thing is, you see these kids are crying as they're being taken, but they have no true understanding of the violations against them. Mm -hmm. No clue at all. So again, the brainwashing is there. But so they get this public media PR campaign going, which villainizes the cops. To the point that they have to return the kids because there's so much pressure on the government officials to, to make it right. Because it's so many children, they don't have enough resources. Although I, I sat there, I kept saying to myself, "I wish I can go back now and like see what Oprah has to say about that." Because you, know, you probably she was, could. She was, it was a, on her her show. She was a big, big deal back then during those nineties and early two thousands. So I'm like, and "You're somebody that goes in there and you're backing these people." So now when you find all this shit out about Warren and what's been going on, you have to feel like a fucking heel. Mm -hmm. Have to. And it's it's crazy. And I am so glad that they didn't just give up. I, I know oh, they yeah. returned the children. And the children, you know, they were scared. And uh, there were a few children who are no longer part of the FLDS who have been separated from their families. And then they've been reunited now with their actual true birth families. And um, basically, the children were giving their, you know, their side, saying we're very scared. However, now that we know what was going on, we understand. But because they're just there's so many children, and you cannot force because there are these some of the, them were put back with their birth mothers and taken from. You cannot force these mothers to just like okay well i think there was one mother whose kids were taken were a couple of kids a couple of daughters and she was reunited a year later and they didn't even know who they she didn't was. know who she was and she and her children are now out of the flds so overall you see how when we say we want to protect women, this is what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah these are cases clearly different than the amber heard stuff and all that but with Kim Wall and these, these women here, like how they're being trafficked and groomed, this is the kind of shit we're talking about that's bad, really bad stuff. Mm -hmm. And the thing that kicked it all off towards the end to kind of close this up was during when they found all the records, Warren had gone on uh, the land, but he was like going to Disneyland with his other wives that were clearly 
familiar with the outside war because they were partying it up. Yeah, they were in Las having Vegas. Having a good time. That's where he actually got arrested right. was Las Vegas. So he's out there in the real world that he considers evil while the rest of them are back at the compound thinking the world is like this scary place. So he's enjoying the high life on their money that they were paying like 300 grand that a week. That was the other thing too. They forced everyone to give tithings. Tithe $1,000 a week to Warren and um, if you, because the one guy was a very successful business owner that they they interviewed, he had to give up the right to his business and give it to controlled to be controlled by the church. So Warren was sucking everything out of everybody. At one point, um, the FBI was kind of doing the whole thing, follow the money. Well, instead of actually like putting it, they were putting it into boxes like bills thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars they started putting it into cans of soup mm-hmm. and beans so that the and fbi they got the brother they pulled him over and found all that money mm-hmm. so uh, there's so much you can talk about with this and i could go on and on but really check out um obese what is be sweet obey and pray and also check out the Kim Wall story. Um, what was it called? Undercurrent. Undercurrent. The disappearance um, of Kim Wall. And if you really would like to support Kim Wall and other, you know, independent journalists, read some of her work and then try try some journalists that you've never heard of from the Independent or the Guardian or, you know, the Wall Street Journal, whatever. Because these. This journalism is what's going to, you know, keep us informed in a proper way, you know. This is why I say uh, uh, each thing that we talk about when it comes to either domestic violence or violence against women, they're all their own certain things, their own thing. Mm -hmm. So we can't generalize everything. And people who think that I'm being unfair with the Depp Heard stuff, it's not really anyone that I know personally, just people. Just you see online. Right. Uh, they think that I'm just, you know, saying women aren't victims. That's not true. I, I just know when to point it out and when it isn't really real. Uh, and even if her is a victim by some chance, her evidence just was not very convincing. And that's what trials are for. So if you want to blame somebody, blame her, her counsel for not doing what they were supposed to do to make it believable. Because even her testimony wasn't believable. She got caught in lie after lie after lie. But that's one case. It doesn't mean that Britney Spears, like that guy and I have talked to, Britney Spears was jade fucked over big time, and a lot of us fell for the same bullshit. And again, the media made it seem like she was a fucking crazy lunatic woman, and so we bought into it because that's what we fucking do. We allow ourselves to fucking sit there and think that oh, she really is crazy, but then we don't even have an understanding of what's going on behind the scenes. And so, again. That's why you need to support good journalism like Kim Wall. Yes. Very important. Very important. Because now the Washington Post has had some issues uh, in regards to... I just kind of made a meme today about it with Taylor Lorenz for the Washington Post. What happened? Lorenz is a reporter for the Post. She mm-hmm. was writing about the Amber Heard Depp thing. and okay. so She made a comment that a couple of YouTubers were making a bankload of money 
and said at the end of her uh, piece that she had reached out but didn't get a comment from either one of them. Well, they both went on their channels and said that was bullshit. They never got any. So the post was forced to retract. They think that because they're posting on YouTube that they're making a bunch of money on the Amber Heard case? Right. So, you know, some of them are monetized. Yeah, like, depending yeah, yeah, on their yeah. subscribers. Well, she was trying to make this claim that they made such and such amount of dollars uh, off of the Amber Heard stuff. Okay. And one of them was another lady who, uh, a lady and a guy. In fact, the guy, the, he's called himself that umbrella guy. He actually testified at the trial because they were trying to call him out on something. Oh, wow. But they, the biggest issue was Loren said she had reached out to them for comments, and they're saying, no, you didn't. <laughs> And so, like, they called her out. They like, you did not do this. So then all of a sudden, uh, the Post had to retract that part of it. And Lorenz is like, well, there was a miscommunication. And she's like, she tried to say, yeah, I, I tried to follow you up on Twitter. And she's like, no, you didn't. Just take the L. You lost. You. <laughs> so it, it's, it's that kind of shit that we're talking about with the mainstream media. And the mainstream media, everything feels like you have to just be first. Yeah. You don't you don't double no check fact things. Checking. You're like is this a rumor? Uh, I got to get it out there first because of how everybody is just like checking Twitter, checking Facebook, Instagram all the time. So instead of like doing what Kim Wall does, which is, you know, investigative reporting, just your general day-to-day -day mainstream media, you're you're getting tweet 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 of everything that's going on and it may seem like, uh, sometimes it, it comes off as if you're just tweeting something, it might be incorrect or maybe a little insensitive, but you're putting it out there because you want to be first. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, I'll just retract it later if it's wrong, or maybe yeah. nobody will notice if it's wrong. But the wrong. problem is, you can do damage that mm -hmm. way. So she was, again, this is, they're not going to sue her, but it's almost like slammer and defamation. You're, mm -hmm. you're making a statement that isn't factual. And you haven't researched it or, or even got the comments that you said you did. So, you know, these two people are like, they're not going to sue her because it's a waste of time. But, like, they're just saying, look, you're wrong. You didn't reach out to us. You made a lie. Own up to it. And then let's move on. But, you know, I maybe made the meme. I took her picture and I said, this, you know, Taylor Rand's got caught lying for supposedly uh, trying to get comments from two YouTubers, and then I put, you remember uh, Running Man with uh, Damon Killian, the uh, the guy doing the talk show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that moment in the movie, he's like, ladies and gentlemen, we've got technical difficulties. <laughs> and so I basically put that in there. This, I, this is a great example, all of this that we're talking about. Amber Heard, um, Kim Wall, The Fundamentalist. It is a great example of what you can what you what you see in the media and what good investigative journalism is because you you see now the underbelly and the undercurrent of what was happening in the fundamentalist church and how easy it was for just mainstream media to pick it up and be like there's nothing wrong you know because they just they want to be able to control the narrative. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. <laughs> I've had a gripe with the media for the last 10 years about this. I mean, I'm sure it's been longer, but you're starting to see in recent years the ugliness of mass media and how it's used to curtail people. In some ways, they kind of brainwash us because they want us to believe certain narratives. And now we're kind of pushing back as a society saying, 
when you're caught in a lie, we're going to call you out on it. And, and we're all reaching out for different forms of, of I don't read, like, I, I, CNN or Fox. I go to alternate, you see me all the time reading, like, random, I'm an article reader. I love finding, you when know, people, independent articles. When people are like, you know, because they often fight about the left versus right, so Fox News versus CNN, I say, well... If I see an article, I go to try to look look up another person that's like a different journalist altogether, mm-hmm. not attached to either one of them. But yeah, so it, it just at this stage, like you have to make sure you're checking your sources, checking like the YouTube people. Like they were complaining a lot these mainstream people about the trolls. I don't think the harassment on Amber Heard is justified. I think that's kind of ridiculous. Like it's okay to poke fun a little bit, but when you're harassing her. And all this, it's kind of it's stupid. But I don't pay attention. I don't go on TikTok that much, or at all, and I don't go on Twitter that much. But if I'm on YouTube and I'm listening to people who actually are lawyers or uh, who actually are following the trial closely, and I'm watching what they're saying and, and I'm agreeing or disagreeing, that means I'm paying attention to the trial. I'm paying attention to what I'm seeing. I'm not paying attention to what Trollville has to say. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot of these mainstream articles out there right now that are so consumed by what Twitter has to say. I'm like, stay off fucking Twitter. That's not what we should be focusing on. We should be focused on the actual evidence residing in this case. So if you're doing that, that's what you should be following as a journalist. Uh, but you want to concentrate so much on these dumbasses on Twitter and TikTok. I'm like, dude, fuck them. They're bad, yes, but like they're not deciding to trial the evidence is. So that's where you, your focus should be on that. But, but it never is. No. It never is. The truth comes out, and sadly, as we saw with Kim Wall, the... The trust was too much for her. Mm-hmm. She trusted somebody that, you know, there's no way for anyone to see that coming unless you knew him deep down and just didn't say anything. Not until after the fact. So, like, as we said, she had gone to pretty other countries where shit was really bad and managed to be alive, but then trusting this one guy who's rich as hell, just maybe eccentric, Mm -hmm. and she put her trust in the wrong person. But that just shows you the crazy world we live in. You have to, like, again, if if I'm the boyfriend, you know, I'm probably kicking myself for not going or stopping her from doing it just because... But you, you, you want to trust the world. You just do. You always give me and shit you know, every time I'm out of the country. You're like, never travel by yourself. It, it just takes once. Mm-hmm. It, all it takes is once. And so, like I say, at least have some people you can trust. Even if you're just going out drinking or to the I always sites. have a travel buddy. I yeah. always have a travel buddy. I, never I always have an exit buddy. <laughs> I The only time that I've never... And it, it kind of started out with a group of us, but I left in an Uber to go back to the ship. I stayed at a wine bar, had some more wine, and then from that place, I I just took the Uber. Everybody else wanted to go somewhere else, and I was, you know, me and my wine. I was very consumed with trying every glass of wine they had. And, you know, that's fine. I was in a very safe city in the U.S. that has, like, one murder a year kind of thing. And I I knew I'd be fine to stay there by myself. But, you know, if I'm in Hong Kong, I was with about six people. Or it's, it is, but again, Copenhagen, 
one of the safest places. Uh, right. This is just too much for yeah. me. We, we gotta stop, because I, I have so much like, <laughs> in my brain. We could do like our own separate podcast on just, you Maybe know. Maybe we could just do a YouTube video and just we, keep I talking. mean, we could. Like, jot that down. We can put, like, put all of our points down, do... You know, do one on um, Amber Heard, do one on Kim Wall, and do one on the um, fundamentalist women, and just kind of like compare and contrast what's been going on. Um, this is your little preview because we're gonna have like a back and forth on that soon, and that's a really good idea. We'll do that next week. All right, well, back into our music. Uh, new stuff from Artificial Brain, Rib Spreader, Lord Belial, Cacao. Yeah. 
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information Peace
this is Roger from No Moss. And also Ben from No Hey, Henry over here from No Moss. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> Right, getting ready to jump into our rock block for today. Yeah, we thought we'd give you some music after you had to listen to me like jabber on for. <laughs> well, that's why we had to cut the topics down because we get on these rants. <laughs> just keep. I, in fact, I told her because I, I was trying. I give these like secret sign language, like how much time we have left for something. And she's good at keeping her promise, but then I started up with then something. Then you started. And then I it just was kicks wrapping in. it up. Right, so then it kicks into this whole other ten minutes. But uh, but that's why we kind of cut back on topics a little bit, because it does drag on a bit uh, when we start talking. Especially when it's the both of us. Yeah. Like, yeah, usually I can monitor myself, but for both of us, it's like, oh, because we feed off one another. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, she says something like, oh, yeah, that's right. So I'm going to add something to that, and she'll do the same to me. But in the rock block, we do have the return of Neko's Pick of the Week. Yeah, and it's, for me, a blast from the past, uh, like, you know, high school past. Got some new stuff from Cities of Mars, as well as Def Leppard's new stuff. Ooh. The Gathering, new stuff. Uh, Tarja Records, or promo- I think it's Tarja Promotions, that uh, sent me Ren, Marabu, and the Berserker. So this I kind of like that. Yeah. But... Kicking it off is Howlin' in the Fog. This is a band that's sort of like a black post-rock band. Their album, new album Reflections, is one of my favorites of the year. I just listened to it the other day, found in love with it. Oh, wow. So this is a song is a little bit more in the rock uh, variety. It doesn't use the rough vocals much in there at all. But uh, it's very beautiful, and it's a good way to kick off our rock block today. So without further ado, here we go, Howling in the Fog.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio.
It's rat time! <laughs> and Neko gets fired up on the, the music break. She's reading all these articles. Goes from helicopter rides crashing to fucking taxes. Go figure. Anyway, <laughs> we're not going to talk about that right now because... That's a whole other It's topic. a whole... We, we might even do another U, a YouTube on that in yeah, itself. Right? You know, write that down too. We've got the, the women's rights and then we're going to talk about the federal um, versus state rights. And we'll, we'll put a pin in both of those because they would make great discussion topics. Um, yeah. So this week, for, for my non-other rant, this is a zero rant topic. This is a love of my life topic. This is my pick of the week from 1998. So I picture myself in my powder blue Dodge Omni, 1989, barely goes over 50 miles an hour. I don't know how many times I almost died trying to merge on it. Yet I worked at Corporate Express and I was going to college in Essex so driving on 95 in that little thing that could like pop 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 well you always tell the story about you coming back from Ocean City for the uh, sanitarium tour and your car overheated that motherfucker and then we had to keep pulling over so this this little car is really meant for old ladies that go to the grocery store once a day, not a commuting, you know, college student. She but says that, but she's an old lady now. We now had to buy her a fucking Jeep. I mean, <laughs> my little Jeep is good. But, huh. So me in 1998 with my adorable little Dodge Omni, I, I am just listening to all the music, all the CDs, and I have my. I don't know if you guys remember this, and probably you young people have no idea what I'm talking about because everything just streams from your phone, but I had this visor that you could slide all of your CDs as you're driving. You, you know, this is very not safe, but I did it and didn't die. I would be like, oh, I think I want to listen to this right now and pop it right into my CD player, and you knew you hit, like, peak perfection if you had to. I think two. that's the funny thing because you, you talk about that, but, like, for me... Because of all the CDs I have, I have this big ass book that I throw in my car, and I was like, it, it, "That's the thing." Like it became more and more CDs. First, it started out with like the twenty or four, twenty-four one. Then all of a sudden, both sides. Yeah, so yeah. then you're like to the sixty something one. I'm like, God. Damn. I think I took over that book, and you I did. put all of my CDs in that book that right. you had. I um. But just go show you how far we've come, because now we've got them on little USB drives. Yeah, he. I have this USB drive, which is the size of my nail on my pinky finger and I think it's five terabytes that DJ Anubis has filled with music for me. I've spoken to colleagues and friends that they literally have not kept any physical media. No tapes, no CDs, no cassettes, no Blu-rays, no DVDs, nothing. And this house, we are rife with with physical media. We like, we like to keep it. Well, that's the thing too, is that because of that option now, because I kind of look at it like with our vehicles, we're not putting a lot of miles on them, so everything lasts. So even when I'm dead and gone, like the, the vinyl, the CDs, the cassettes, you know, they're, even though they've been kind of used a little bit, you know, they'll be protected longer because we're not playing them as much. You know, we got everything on MP3 mm -hmm. that we listen to in the car, so... Sometimes it's just nice, though, to crack open a vinyl. Oh, yeah, if we're sitting around the house do, chilling, Especially we'll do that. if I'm, like, cleaning or doing one of my infamous projects, I'm always, like, putting on a vinyl and just kind of enjoying it. 
that's kind of what I'm getting to with this. Like, remember when we're going to have to watch that documentary. Remember when radio stations mattered? Um, <laughs> there was a radio station in... Well, our radio station mattered, but it's on the internet. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, it, it, it was kind of like a defining... Um, you were loyal to a radio station. Like, I was really loyal to WHFS and 98 Rock at the same time, but WHFS really, like, during... I would just flock to it, and they always played, like, the alternative hits. And sometimes the alternative hit, hits would cross over with rap, and sometimes they'd cross over with a little pop, and they put on this gigantic HF festival for years, and... It's kind of funny because Anubis and I, there was the one, um, they did a summer and a fall version and he told me he was at the fall version one time and I'm like, we could have both been waiting in line getting a beer at the same time and it, it just, it cracks me up because I know that maybe it's funny for our me. life kind of crossed, our paths maybe have when crossed. When I first got to Maryland, the underground was a metal station, and I was like, psyched, because we had Z-Rock in Colorado, so when I got out here, uh, the underground was here, and I was like, oh, this is great. And then it didn't last very much long. I think it lasted for maybe a year or two after I arrived in, in Maryland. So then I was devastated. The underground so, lasted a little while, because it was like 103.1. Right. And I was a teenager, so I had a couple of years. But I mean, I arrived it. in 91, so it didn't last much longer after that, maybe a couple of years. Uh, but then I gravitated to 98 Rock, which was okay, and then, of course, HFS. But this is the funny thing about HFS, because uh, <clears throat> it was more alternative stuff, which is fine, because that was kind of the thing back then. But if you ever seen the movie Airheads with Brandon Frazier and uh, Steve Buscemi and uh, Adam Sandler, uh, this little rock group metal band that they take over the a radio Lone station. Rangers. So there, there's a scene in there where it gets exposed uh, to the DJs that are there under you're being held captive because these guys want their tape played, which is a tape, even though I think they're uh, using, tape. Yeah. So, uh, but it gets exposed that there's going to be a format change, and these DJs didn't know, so they're, like, pissed. Like, it's going to go to country. It's sort of like the thing from Howard Stern's movie. It's, it's what happened to HFS. And that's what I'm getting to. Well, HFS was kind of, like, really the hottest thing more than 98 Rock at the time in the 90s, so I'm listening to that, and I get in my car one morning, and it's Spanish music. Same. And it's not... A hit at Spanish music. It's just that there was no warning. No warning. It nothing. just fucking hit. Like it's like, boom, here we go. And I'm like, am I in the right station? What am I doing? And it, my my station was always on 99.1. So I start my car, same thing, and I'm like, is this a commercial? Right. And I wait, and I'm like, and it keeps playing. I'm and like, where, where's where's the corn? And I kept where's I, the limpus I, I kept I kept expecting them to come on and say it's April Fool's Day or something, but it never happened. And so I'm like, what the fuck happened? And back then, there was the internet, so I get to work because I was driving to work. I get to work and I'm like, it's me typing. It, how how where where HF and it's like Elzol and I'm like. Yeah, I just asked him. I was like, dude, uh, do you listen to HFS? Because like it's not there. He's like, oh yeah, they changed. I'm like, what? Why? What happened? It's it was it just was flipped. Collapsed. Yep. So we, um, Anubis and I, as we 
have gone through life a little we're a little bit older than probably some of you listening or maybe you guys are about the same age as us but we uh we really have seen where like the death of the independently owned radio station um kind of gets bought up by these large corporations and <clears throat> with with that came the death of my favorite at the time because I, I i might have been 20 when the switch happened no 21 i don't know but not not that old and this station they would just play whatever and part of me really liked that because they were reintroducing like run dmc to a younger crowd they were pulling some metal stuff that was kind of crossover into the alternative world and i think that's kind of how i got a little bit more exposed into some metal things before i met because i met dj anubis a couple of years like i was 21 when i met him um the beautiful thing about the station is they didn't have like they weren't forced to be like this is the 12 same songs that we play they were playing all kinds of shit they put on this gigantic festival where they had like a locals only stage they had a big stage where you'd get red hot chili peppers or rage against the machine but then you would also have like a tertiary stage where it was smaller bands yeah and they had more versatility than say Ozfest, which stuck mainly to metal uh hfs you had everything from alternative rock to hip-hop to... They had the Blue Man group play one year. Like, they, you know, they the Blue Chemical Man. They had Chemical Brothers, they had... Um, the Crystal Method. Yeah, I was trying to think of... Um, they had Power Man 5000. Well, they were, yeah, kind of alternative. But they just, they weren't afraid to think... You, you can work a little bit with that. They had that. Jean. They, right. I mean, they always would put things together you wouldn't think belonged together. And... Where I'm going with all of this is this is how I discovered the song that I'm about to play. It sounds almost like a cha-cha with a little bit of rock behind it. It, I think, is a one-hit wonder of this. DJ Anubis said he never even remembers this song, but it's, it's a beautiful song. And it was based on an actual story that the lead singer had read. Um, about Layla and Raymond Howard, an, an elderly couple from Salado, Texas, who drove to the annual Pioneer Day Festival. It was 10 miles away uh, in Temple, and then they never returned. And then they, when they disappeared, a reporter wrote a series of articles about the missing couple, and the bassist came up with the idea after reading the articles, um, the, the band is based in Austin, Texas, and they started like putting together like what might have happened, what made this this elderly couple go away. And I just always really liked the song because I thought it was really sweet and it's kind of peppy for a sad like story. So this week, my pick of the week is Fastball the way. Audio jump. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, jump. we will bring you on a journey. 
like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, for your jump, let's welcome. DJ Neko's pick of the week. Director of public is available only at the station. There's no alternative. They made up their minds and they started backing. They left before the sun came up that day.
Watching live on Metal Tavern Radio This is Mike Alvord from Mind Wars Turn it up and remember Be Alright Cities of Mars closing out the uh, rock what with the dreaming sky. Now we're gonna talk a little bit about the boys season three. Are we are we really We're so, gonna touch a okay, little bit on so we're not gonna first, spend a yeah, whole lot of time on this one, but first might get some spoilers. It's really hard to talk about this without giving you some spoilers. And I know it's been out for a couple of weeks, and we're, I think they're going to Now, have... keep in, well, keep in mind, it's only three episodes. It's not the full season yet. So we'll come back to it later on when it's finished, kind of like what we did, what I did with Obi-Wan, what we do with Obi-Wan and some of these other series that aren't quite done yet. But since there is three episodes, we do need to kind of touch on some things about and it. And, again... We're going to spoil some stuff because you cannot talk about this without... <laughs> they, well, we're in season three. If you don't know anything about this series, then you probably should just go back and They just go balls watching. deep immediately. Like, there, let's no just... Pun no pun intended. <laughs> so, go ahead. You start. So, basically, for those that never watched this series, okay, you've got... It's almost like if you've ever seen Watchmen... Which they were more vigilantes than actual superheroes, but you know, obviously you had and some superheroes. And they're they're street level superheroes. They don't have superpowers. Right. They're like um, they're out there kind of like Batman right. or whatever Daredevil. They 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 are using what they have technology wise right. and and their actual strength to fight crime. Continue. But uh, the boys is actually if you just took Justice League or. Marvel and made superheroes like very evil or bad. Now, not all of them are bad, of course, but give them big egos, right? So, but we were talking about this watching this season that, like, you know, really in real life, if it happened that we had superheroes, it'd be more likely that we would find them being more like this than we would in the fantasy lands of Marvel or uh, DC because. They started touching on it during Civil War, right. where Steve Rogers was like, uh, "I'm not, I'm not registering my powers. I remember what happened during Nazi Germany. I'm not registering anything." And right, but they only touched on it, like, right? Because really the thing is, like, you, if you realize superheroes having the powers they do, that there's logically no way a government can keep you from exploiting that like you know you're a god basically so like, one so thing that we have made this comment in the show like somebody said something about a master race he's like i am the master race like he he's not even worried about like any kind of like white black racism nothing he's like uh yeah i am the master race there's nothing that can stop so me. a quick synopsis of the first two seasons is you've got these superheroes who are working for the government uh, called the Dawn of the Seven, and it's almost like Dawn of Justice. But you you got these guys, and what happens is one of our lead characters Huey loses a girlfriend because one of the superheroes is fucking fast, basically runs through her like like you don't see it him, but like she just explodes in front of him. So obviously they have cameras that can slow it down. They find out what happened. Uh, a Train is his name. He's the the real speedster guy. So this kicks off the entire, like, t first season with this happening. And we find that Homelander, who's, like, the, the top dude, he's, like, Superman, bad dude, Superman. So he can kill it. Well, what they do, they do 
nefarious things that are hidden from the public. Uh, but they're pretending to be the protectors of the public. But they're also, like, superstars. Right, like, so they do their own movies, and we realize that they got merchandise, of course, and then, and they're also very idolized by most of the people because they do believe that these people are good. Then we have the other guy, Butcher, who's played by uh, Carl Urban, who basically initially thinks his wife is killed or, or hurt by Homelander because there's a video of them being together at the last moments. So he spends his entire life, basically at this point, trying to kill soups, as they call them. So he hooks up with Huey, and then, you know, I'm not going to give you the full breakdown of the first two seasons, but, but they become Carl a team. But Urban, right. his character is 100% kind of when I was saying when we were having our off-screen rant that's another one you got to put down as our uh, our uh, but he is angry because Voight this company that owns the soups has too much power mm-hmm. and is is just doling out whatever they want and then the like none of the soups are being held accountable for anything so that's kind of how it all boils up. But Huey, at the end of season two, is like, I want to do this the right way. I want to hold them accountable. And then there's this, like, um, what do they what do they call it? Like, agency for uh, superhero accountability or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where Huey is, is working now. But... Uh, Carl Urban's character, I cannot remember his name right Butcher. Here. Butcher, thank you. So Butcher is kind of like working for Huey and doing it the right way. For once, he's like, all right, Huey's got a little power. We're going to do it the right way. We're going to go after these soups that are taking their powers and using them for bad, and we're going to hold them accountable. And every time somebody gets captured, it could be a big deal somehow they're like we're gonna well you know we're trading this soup for like two other guys and yeah they actually have like a contestant show for soups like it's like the the american idol of Mm -hmm. superheroes so they're trying to find two people for the next two slots because we have a a good girl and uh what's her fucking name Uh, starlight Starlight. She's she's sort of the good superhero who's now in the seven, but she's combating. She has she's one of the like kind of like she saw all of this as a kid and thought this was good yeah. and pure, and she wanted to make the world a better place. And in the last couple of years, she's realized that this is just not how. Well, it's... I mean, her first day there, she's introduced to the the equivalent of Aquaman, a guy named the Deep, and he's basically drops his pants and tells her to suck his dick what she does uh but then she comes out later at this big convention and like basically does a whole like me too thing where she's like this happened to me this was the guy who did it this is a lie because they want her to go out there and project this greatness about the superheroes and even behind the scenes even other females are like who work for Vought they're just kind of like no no you gotta kind of go with the plan here now granted uh, Elizabeth Shue was in that first season, so she was one of the heads of Vought at the time. So, you know, she's also saying these things, but, you know, Starlight's, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm just not going to do this. So a lot of stuff gets exposed. In season two, 
Homelander actually teams up with this other superhero, and I can't remember her superhero name, but she's the one that has, like, this Nazi background. And they don't know it at this happening. Right. What was her name? Oh, my uh, God. You can look it up, but uh, she ends up forming this relationship with Homelander. and Stormfront. Stormfront, yes, thank you. And, uh, you know, she has all this, like, dirty background that Homelander and the rest of them don't know about. Uh, so she she ends up kind of losing the battle there. I won't tell you how it happens in the season two. But season three, all that negativity because of you know, the public finds out about Stormfront's background with Nazis that it, Homelander is now like enemy number one in terms of PR. So now it's like Vought and everybody's trying to repair his image. They want him to do this. This is why they kind of got the American Idol thing with the new superheroes coming out. They're trying to just rebrand everything. But there comes a point in Neko got to is where Homelander's like <laughs> literally just stops, does what Starlight did in season one and he says no, I'm a god basically. I am, this is me. Uh, I am the master race. You are just people. <laughs> so he's basically fed up with the, the playing the, the poster child for Vod. Yeah, he's, he's realizing his power. He knows his power, but he, he's always been trying to be a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. Even though, like, in season two, he was following his heart. Like, right. And he, that was his other thing, too. He was going around doing the PR thing going you know what I'm just I'm human just like you guys I have a heart and he really did fall like yeah he even though he is a cocky son of a bitch just in general he had you know he fell for Stormfront he realized that she was real bad and he was like I'm kind of an asshole but I'm not kind of I'm not as bad as her so now the interesting thing is before when this season starts kicking off like the people that work for Vod are telling him, like, this is what kind of pisses him off and makes him go do that, is that they're like, look, your numbers are down, Starlights are up, we're going to prompt her up, we're putting you down, you're going to be co-leaders of the Seven. So he's already kind of irritated, like, they're really kind of diminishing his role. So, obviously, him and Starlight have butting their heads when it comes to, like, how their PR is going to, how they're going to tell stories when they talk. And stuff like that, but what we seen, what we talked about earlier is once Homelander comes out and says, I'm not fucking around anymore, I'm not gonna be peddling as a puppet for a Vought, his numbers skyrocket. The <laughs> negativity, they, they're like, everyone is on board. They're like, oh, Homelander's being honest. Okay, great. This is great. We want to see this. He's up 98%. Right. And he, it was during... And he's shocked because he's like, oh, really? Okay, so they love me because I'm just being me. And that's where he started getting his, like, I am the master race. Right. And, and so watching these episodes was, was crazy because there's, as usual, there's always kind of a... Um, a wrench thrown into everything. You got Huey is trying to do good on the up and up, and Butcher is trying to listen to Huey, but Huey realizes that the woman, the congresswoman that he works for, is a soup. Is a soup, and she's not very good. And and she's the um. If you watched episode, uh, season two, the the head exploding. That's what she can do. She just... There's just like some sort of telepathic ability that she can just take a number of people and just make them explode right on the spot. So she does this to like this Congress or they were having some sort of... Uh, 
No, that was in the second season. Right, they, the, but they were having some sort of important meeting that they also blew up. And nobody knew why at the time until they kind of saw her outside with her eyes rolled back, etc. But she um, is a congresswoman. And, and I think she's married to the guy that leads Vaughn now. No, that is Black her guy. stepfather. Oh, okay, okay. So they started... Huey started digging and finding out about her and she was kind of in an orphanage for you know super abled children but the I, I forgot his name he was the one who adopted her and put her to task for so many years now that her powers have gotten so strong and she is posing as this we need to keep superheroes accountable person everybody is is kind of just you know she's the one she's the one who's going to make the change and then you find out that she's the one who is really not making any change at all she's the one causing the problems but Huey figures it out because he just happens to follow her one night or something. An old friend of hers, I, who I believe was at the orphanage... Oh, yeah. Tries to get in contact with her. He comes to her office and, and asks for her by her old name. And he says, there's no one here. But then he mentions it to her, saying some guy Tony was looking for you, but he was, like, calling you something else. And she was a little shocked. She meets up with Tony... And blows him up basically with and well he was going to try to kill her there was something i forget what it was that sparked it but he attempted to actually kill her while they were embracing in a hug and she caught on and then just took him down but it was let me tell you the scenes in this I, we could spend time on the first season scene or the first episode but i'm not going to because we really kind of shut this one down a little bit i know we're giving you way too much information uh, for this but the only thing that i do need to point out is throughout this series we discovered that these soups are actually man-made they're not naturally born uh except for one who was that homelander's son well, through birth, yes. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. But yeah, but generally they're created through these test tubes, really, basically. Mm -hmm. So in season three, we now have decided that there's this other part of the government that's like they've got this temporary superpower they can give to any human that will make them supers for 24 hours. And this is something they wanted to create for their own soldiers. Uh, so <laughs> Butcher is presented with a couple of these. And, uh, you know, at first you're thinking, well... He's just going to dump this shit because he's anti-soup. He doesn't want anything to do with this stuff. It's like, it's almost like if you think about V for a minute, for True Blood. You know, it's kind of like stuff like that. Uh, but he ends up using it at one point when he's trekking down this other old superhero to get information. Uh, it doesn't go as planned because he can't control the powers he has. But anyway... <clears throat> so far in the three episodes, it's very, very entertaining, uh... Nick and I really aren't going to spend a lot of time because the first episode, you have to see it to believe it because it's just so goddamn funny. Uh, and it's, it's <clears throat> graphic. Yeah, the whole thing is, like I was talking about the the guy that knew the lady uh, who she killed with her telepathic ability. Like, he's laying on the ground. He's moving his face a little bit. He has no jaw left. Like, it's gone. 
So it's one of those, uh, just, it's so graphic, but it's so good. Like, it's so good. You'll enjoy the shit out of it if you like this kind of stuff. Uh, we Very we, entertaining. We sat down and just looked at each other and said, what the fuck? And this was like five minutes into the first episode. Right, like, so it kicks off with a whammy, uh, for sure. Uh, even if you were going to watch the first three episodes of this and then go back to watch the first two seasons, you probably would be okay with that. Uh, the first episode would just blow your mind, just in general, but you're probably going to sit there going, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah, what the fuck? This, just think of that. Right. If you haven't watched any of this yet, just think, what the fuck? Yeah. And it's graphic. It is disturbing. Oh, God, we forgot about when, when the deep... And he had to, with the octopus... Uh, um, so, yeah, just watch we'll, we'll it. cover a lot more of this when the season concludes because we're going to go back and rehash all this. But uh, you know, we're midway through it right now. They release uh, an episode every week, I think, and I don't know how many they're going to have this year. But uh, we'll come back to it like we will the Obi Wan stuff once it's completed, and uh, we'll we'll complete our reviews. Of I that. just say, go watch it. Yeah, I mean. you can binge watch. The first two seasons plus the first three episodes right now on, on Amazon Prime. So, definitely worth it. Alright, well into our next uh, group of songs. We got some new stuff from Troll Fez, Genghis Khan, and from Angels PR. This is Battle Symphony, Fire on Earth.
Victorify from Victoria, BC. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Stay thrashing. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? They suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Alright, TJ Nubis here. Neko had to run to get her charger for a laptop, but uh, break down this week's retro movie vault pick. And uh, as I said last week on the last episode, we are moving between DVDs and, of course, streaming now. Obviously, I have a DVD, of course, picked this week, but I just had gotten it in like maybe a few days before we watched it. It was the triple feature of The Black Lagoon, uh, Revenge of the Black Creature from the Black Lagoon, and then the third one. I can't remember the name of that one. But Was it Return? or No, I can't remember what the third film is. It apparently is the worst one of the bunch, but obviously we wanted to watch one of them for our original pick, which is the original from 1954. I had never seen it. Right. Which is... Well, That's he, actually pretty crazy because you haven't seen it. Because I've seen so many things, and he's like, "You haven't seen Creature from the Black Lagoon?" I'm like, "Well, I know that that famous scene right. in in Creature from the Black Lagoon, um, but I've I've never sat down and given it time." Yeah, so it was on a good price, uh, so I bought it, and um, so we watched it, and like. Uh, we had fun watching it. Yeah, I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. Like, it really, when I looked online for any kind of streaming apps, they really didn't even have it to rent. Or if they did, I felt like, you know, paying the four bucks or whatever to watch, I figured, better off just to buy the fucking thing because it's not streaming for free anywhere. And you would think with Tubi and stuff like that, they might actually have those movies, but they don't. Now, there might be some not other apps. on Shutter. Right. So... I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, so we're talking like the 70s and early 80s when that stuff used to be on TV regularly. It was always like the Sunday matinee. Right, yeah, or Elvira would play a film like that or something. Uh, you know, those talk, those horror hosts that would do those shows. So we watched it, and uh, as we're watching, we're enjoying it, of course. And, of course, for whatever reason, this is the love that her and I have is we start doing our Mystery Science Theater 3000 commentary <laughs> because, look... It's 1954. The scriptwriters 
at the time are very basic so you're not thinking of like a really deep film here so some of the things that are being said in the script were just kind of like it's so painfully obvious that it's really bad so we're kind of like making up our own commentary i was i was telling him bef- not to get too down in the trenches but like back then everybody worked for the studio and it was kind of like okay we want to do this movie write it so you're you're not getting somebody who's passionate about the creature from the black lagoon really writing a script but what they did so well was they took the 50s like creature feature and followed that beautiful formula to Mm -hmm. a t and it was a lot of fun so basically the premise is you have uh this group of archaeologists who are they're in uh what is it amazon the amazon river yeah so they're they're on a you know boat ride and they have like a little camp they've made on part of the uh shore one of these swamp areas that they're in and uh of course they're digging and you find they find this like claw from way back when but it's like a web claw and so they're like oh what is this you know it doesn't look familiar it looks like something new this is great maybe we need to dig out the rest so obviously they attempt to dig up the rest but they can't find the rest of the body but they're very curious about this thing yeah they're they were um scientists right so it's almost like a, a hand sort of webbed claw so they end up bringing some other you know a woman and like a couple other young uh archaeologists back to here but on their way back uh they find that the camp was attacked they had some people there uh native people there that were taking care of the camp while they were gone they were killed uh in the process when they come back so like now they're like well what the hell happened and it isn't long before we realize uh that there's one of these creatures that are still alive in the swampy area so this lake or lagoon they call it Mm -hmm. basically and uh i forget the reasons why they wanted i guess they wanted to kind of dive down in the water to see if they can find more they were looking for more um Artifacts. Right. They were really looking for evidence. They wanted to find something that they could take back because they're all supposed to be like scholarly gentlemen, scientists. So finding something concrete that they could show to the scientific community is what what they really wanted. They didn't want like because it's sort of like Jurassic Park. You know, you find more fossils that you get more financial means mm, to do exactly. Your, your dig. So he, they're working on their funding. They're trying to like show, hey, we 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 found this. But on top of all that, there's a nice love triangle. So you have Kay, who she's not Doctor Kay. Like they're all all of the men are doctors, but Kay apparently is not smart enough to finish her doctor degree and she's just Kay the scientist but she was studying under Michael right and then now she's with David right and those two doctors are scientists that are kind of they're the two like fucking ding-dongs in the entire yeah Michael's (laughs) the one that's more like he wants let's not jump too far ahead sorry sorry so they go in the water and they're trying to look for stuff they do find a couple things come back up and Kay decides she wants to go for a swim now, I can tell you, Neko and I would not be swimming in that water that we can't see in. So, yeah, regardless of what's in there, we're like, we're, we've seen enough River Monster episodes to know that we're not going in that water. Yeah. For me, it's not so much even like 
you can't see, but I've heard about so many parasites in the Amazon that I'm like, if you have just one teeny tiny cut or whatever, that's worse than swimming in it and then like, oh, look, here comes a piranha. Like, that. Right. that's... <clears throat> but Kay goes in for a swim and she strays from the boat. And we get our first glimpse because really the good thing about this film is the underwater shots are very shot very nicely. It's very clean, clear. Uh, it's not grainy. We do have some grainy spots here and there, but uh, for the most part, everything's shot very cleanly. So we see what we call the merman or gill man. And uh, he's doing what we'll get to in a few minutes about the impact that gill man has had on cinema going after this. But the Gill Man is in an iconic scene where he's swimming underneath Kay in the water, not really touching her, but just very close. And there is a couple of scenes where he kind of taps her toe a little bit, and she's like, maybe think it's a fish or whatever. And but it's it's kind of like he's trying to swim in sync with her. Right. I don't I don't know how to describe it. It was interesting. So the men kind of realize that she's out there. They call her back and. Soon enough, we find out the guys go back in the water and they actually see this thing. Like, they see the creature. And so now it becomes like, oh, if we capture this, it's even a bigger deal. Like, we can really become famous and get a lot of funding for stuff going forward. We'll discover this new species of creature. Uh, so Michael's more into this than the rest of them. Like, when things start going awry and they can't do it and people are getting hurt... The rest of the group are like, yeah, we want to get out of here, man. Like, we're just losing people one by one to this thing. Michael's like, no, no, we got we to gotta get this thing. We can't go back empty-handed. It's like a, a big ordeal uh, with the competitiveness between Mike and Dave and Kay. So, and he's like, we have to bring back a live specimen. Like, that was that right. was so important. Never mind that he kept shooting the damn thing with fucking spear guns. I mean... <laughs> Fucking shoot the broadside of a barn, as they say. Right. So, obviously, if you go online, you'll read a lot of articles uh, about Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's a it's a very iconic piece of cinema for monster movies. Uh, obviously, it came out the same year that uh, Godzilla did in, in Japan. So you look at two pieces of cinema there that were very impactful for a lot of reasons, but. Creature more so because the Gill Man shows up in a lot of other movies as time has gone on. So stuff like Monster Squad, where you have Dracula, the werewolf, the mummy, and of course Gill Man is in there. Saturday the 14th, there's a version of Gill Man in that for that comedy. And of course something that Neko went and I went back and checked out a little bit of was The Shape of Water, which we had seen from Del Toro, uh, which... Is almost like a reimagining of Creature from the Black Lagoon, just not directly linked to it. But it has a lot of the similar vibes and the feeling. Because there is, in some ways, as you pointed out, even though it wasn't really explicit, the underwater scene where the Gilman is swimming with Kay, it is a little bit of a sexual dance because the Gilman becomes obsessed with Kay. That's all he wants is Kay. He doesn't care about anyone else, just wants Kay. That's why he gets up on the boat and he's like... Takes her, yeah. So, whereas in A Shape of Water it actually becomes a real thing. Like, it's one of the crazy things about Tor and his storytelling is he makes a lot of these weird things happen on Yeah, you look at um, in The Shape of Water Elisa, she was um, she was mute because when she was found as a child her her throat was like basically slit and she has no vocal cords so she can't really talk 
But she speaks through sign language, and when she sees this creature for the first time, she just kind of maybe telepathically connects, and she realizes that he feels very alone, and she snuck in during her lunch break. This, mind you, this is the what, the 50s, top level secure place, and she has her car, her like scanner card lets her in there because she's a, a cleaning lady but she it started off with just she sees him then she sees that he's been zapped mistreated and mistreated and then she starts feeding him eggs which is also like hellboy with egg sapien abe sapien um yeah i didn't mention hellboy also has a version of gilman mm-hmm. in that yeah and she just is patient like she peels the egg and sits it down and then he comes coming up and he takes it makes a rat and then goes away and she's not too startled by it she understands that he's different I don't even know what kind of like possessed her like to start talking because she she doesn't she she does sign language and apparently he really started understanding she would play music for the creature and the creature was like she she started signing this means music and and he would sign like when she she came in he wanted to hear music she would give him eggs but the whole thing was a friendship that del toro developed based off of a horror movie mm-hmm. like this this the shape of water is not scary at all i'm no, sure it, the creature from the black lagoon was very scary for oh, the yeah. 50s yeah but he took this horror movie and turned it into yeah what really became something different man was more scary in uh, shape of water mm-hmm. than in black lagoon and, and that's the thing like as neko was explaining about how the girl was communicating with the gill man it's like when you think of science and everything this is the way that she was handling the gill man is the way you would think scientists would handle something like that mm-hmm. you know some foreign species that's intelligent however they were more hell-bent on testing on him and abusing him and if he didn't act a certain way they would zap and him. then at the end they're like they were hell-bent on just like getting rid of him because right they were worried the russians were going to get a hold of him yeah because they wanted him for a weapon they didn't want him for any kind of because he has healing powers like he has interesting things about him uh but you know creature from the black lagoon wasn't set up as quite as elaborate as shape of water but it does show you the influence the movie has had over 60 years uh even some of the underwater scenes that we saw influenced even spielberg for jaws like the swimming above the water oh i was joking about that too because there's there's kind of like the baseline the den and den and baseline it's not exactly the same as as jaws but it's more like um i don't want to say melodic but you know how jaws is is very astute more like sharp den and this was more like da, 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 da. and that was that was kind of how you knew that the creature was swimming and it was it was pretty amazing just to kind of 
sit back and really, like, as someone who's never seen this, and I probably should have seen this, but I started drawing all these, like, like Anubis said, all these conclusions off of it, pulling all of the influences that I've seen in other movies, and we sat and we watched the, um, it was, it was a, the making of, um, documentary afterwards. Yeah, yeah, they kind of touched on it a little bit about, like, the really, what's crazy about the first Creature film was that the suit was very elaborate, very nice, uh, well put together. Uh, and I was thinking, because the third film is called The Creature Walks Among Us, and the reason why that one's kind of, like, not as liked as much is because they actually have the creature becoming more man-like so it changes the way that the creature becomes is it by the end of the film it's a lot different that's right he's like in a that's suit right. and so even in the second film which nick and i will eventually go and watch you too because like i say it was a triple pack that i got they were they were treating him like he was in jurassic park right like they just kind of stuck him in a theme park and were like hey look at this guy like but the suit itself has kind of been changed over both of those movies. And, you know, I kind of got thought about it, and I didn't really think about it at the time. But if you... And I don't know if Harry Harryhausen ever thought about it when he was making Clash of the Titans, but the Krakens, the head, mm-hmm. looks very much like the Gill Man. Well, interesting that you bring that up. Millicent Patrick was never credited until recently mm-hmm. as the designer yep. and she was like the first woman actual like makeup artist on these creature features back then and she was the one who designed the whole face like the whole look of the creature from the black lagoon and hold on hold on she was the one it was like her baby and it later in the year when uh, they were going around like um, promoting it and everything I forgot the main makeup guy's name that's what I was kind of scanning for uh, she was out because she was kind of pretty and she was a you know an actress herself in the past so she was as they're promoting the creature from the black lagoon she's going around with you know her makeup and her the head and they're showing everything she gets home and they're like yeah we don't need you anymore yeah so she after like the movie is done she's doing all these promotions she doesn't get any credit they fire her for no reason yeah, it's so, another one of those things that we'll be talking about on the YouTube video. Oh my like, god, we're going to add, that, even though this add was, that to the YouTube video. <laughs> I mean, even though it was way back, you kind of expected that in the you know early on because of women's rights and all that. But well, look, it, look, look, let's just look what happened to me as somebody with 20 years experience before I started doing what I do now, but 20 years experience in my field getting passed over for a promotion for someone who was not even just in the same out of college didn't not have any knowledge of what they were doing she so had she had to train her replacement had to train my new boss that's so like infuriating but. and don't and don't you can't come and say well the, the excuse they used to give women back in the day especially like in the 70s and 80s when 
women would be like, I had to train my own boss. Well, you don't have a college degree. Yes, I do. Yeah. I have multiple degrees and I have multiple uh, certifications. So this is not a question of was just because he had a, gr a degree, he was more qualified. He was a nice guy. This is not his fault. The, f the fault is on me for not being aggressive enough for on my own. Well, no, it's not even your fault. I was not. You were promised. They were. Yeah. She, your boss told you she was grooming you to re her replacement. Uh, and then some of the other higher ups got with her boss, and they just like, oh no, we're gonna put this guy in play. It's the typical. If there's ever a problem, what I have with like the misogynistic man and patriarchy, this is it because. You have people like her job is actually pretty good. But it's mainly her direct bosses that she works for. My now. my former right. We're talking. Don't yeah. It's not the my same. My bosses guys. now are the best in the world. Right. They like high five me every day. I'm talking about my former job. Yeah, the guys she has now are the kind of guys you want in any job you're with with women. The guys she was working for in the offices, those are the the, the prima donna egotistical assholes that are trying to move men above her, people like her. I got him the job. Right. So, I literally got him the job. And it wasn't like, I think you told me they weren't even advertising that job that he was taking. It wasn't supposed to be a supervisory or a promotional type job. It was supposed to be on my level. And somehow, after six months, he was promoted to my boss. Yeah, so th th those are some bad things for a star like Millicent, who created this wonderful costume, couldn't even take credit for it because they had to say it was some other dude, and that's just so infuriating when you and think about it. And she was fired. It. Yeah. She was fired. They used her pretty face and her creativity to promote a really cool movie, and then she was fired. They're like, yeah, we no, we no longer needs you anymore, so get done. But uh, this movie uh, initially came out as a 3D movie, but it also had 2D. So one thing is, when it started doing really well in 3D, and they had it released in 2D, I think they had more theaters for 2D, but they said it still did so well that it didn't matter anymore. So this was the interesting 3D thing that they said in the... Um, and this is for me, too, because I forget, because we have so much like digital world... To do 3D back in the day, you needed to have two projectors going simultaneously the way that they were projecting. And then you also had to wear the glasses. And if you didn't have a good projectionist, it would be like you were having a fucking LSD trip because it would just be like trails and right. you wouldn't get like what you're supposed to see. And the upper class, larger theaters are the ones who got all the 3D. The 2D were kind of the smaller, like, one-house type theaters. But it did get a little bit of, um, back, I want to say backlash, but it, a little bit of criticism for the 3D because if you didn't have a good projectionist back in the day who could operate... Now, nowadays it's just like, you, oh, yeah, start start the movie. I, th I could run the movie right now from my computer because that's basically what they do. Everything is digital, but... When you ran projections before, it was on actual film. You, you needed to know how to wind it. You needed to know how to focus it. You needed, and then if you're running two at the same time, in order to get the 3D effect, you're gonna need to know what you're doing. 
and apparently there were just some projection projectionists who didn't understand or they just were not very good so there was a little bit of a 3d flack kind of thrown in from there but not enough to take away from this being you know a creature feature what do you what do you call it? like building block like og yeah i was just gonna say like you know it's funny because we think about and this is i've never really put it in this context before but you think about all the movies that started horror right so you have dracula werewolf frankenstein all those movies and those monsters have had multiple movies but the gill man is one of the few that hasn't had a lot in that series so you have like the first three they, they worked on then you have sort of references to the gill man mm -hmm. but no actual movie about it like Shape of Water is probably the closest you're going to get. And they actually, in The Shape of Water, don't reference the movie. Right. But the movie, is The strong. Shape of Water, is coming out the same time period as Creature from the Black Lagoon. Right. So it's the setting is in the 50s. So you're kind of expected to think of it as um, carryover. So you watch the creature from the Black Lagoon, and you're like, oh, maybe they didn't catch the creature from the Black Lagoon, but they told well, somebody. Well, from what I read in the article, they said that Dator kind of just took what they were kind of alluding to in Black Lagoon, where it was sort of like the creature wanted a mate with uh, Julie Adams' uh, K character. He just took it to another level. Dator said, this is going to happen. <laughs> and so it did. Uh, now, it wasn't super graphic, but you got the impression that that's what was going on. And But it's interesting because the characters that they surrounded in Del Toro's film, like the father and everything, mm -hmm. they almost accepted it because he kind of understood what was happening. Like, he looked at it from a whole different angle. It wasn't like, oh, my God, my, my daughter's having sex with a monster. It wasn't like that. Mm -mm. That, was, that wasn't his daughter. That was just a neighbor. Oh, okay. Uh, but, see, I haven't seen it in a while, so I forgot how his place was in. But he was a big part of the movie. But, uh, but it just showed that, like, they were they were looking at the creature differently than what he actually was like they were learning that he was an intelligent being he, he could heal he can do certain things and somehow some way there was this connection between him and the girl so and it was deeper than just like friends like obviously so uh yeah so i, I just it's so weird how iconic this film is even after all these years and yet no one has attempted to actually try to remake it or reboot it uh which is strange like you would think they would like it's one of those few things but of course there's other movies out there they've never they've tried to do other movies like them but they jaws tried. is never done uh they just make sequels they don't try to remake it so there's some movies that are just so iconic what that sharknado was not influenced by no no i said there's other shark movies <laughs> out there i mean we have fucking santa shark and or santa jaws and uh sand shark i mean sharknado there's tons of shark movies now but no one has really braved the waters so to speak to try to redo jaws i won't brave the waters either just fyi so yeah, uh, if you have never seen it, check it out if you ever get a chance to. It's a great, great movie. Uh, highly recommend it. And of course, I have no idea what NECA is going to do next week for the movie Vault, but uh, oh. it should be a lot of oh, fun. Oh, shit! Especially since we're in the streaming territory oh, now. Oh, shit! 
<laughs> Alright, well, got some classic stuff from Skeletal Earth taking off the next two blocks before we get ready to close this bitch out. Here we go, and we'll be back.
Hey, Frank. You ready for this weekend? Why? What's this weekend? The ferret's having a party. Oh, life's a nightmare. He's getting two cases of Budweiser, a bucket of nachos, and a karaoke machine. I'm not going. Louie, everyone's going. Yeah, like who? A bunch of slugs? Mm-mm. Me, you, the ferret, and all of his lady friends. The ferret? Has lady friends. Oh, yeah, dozens. Eh? He's like a furry little gigolo. Yeah, I don't believe this. Hey, hey Ferret, what? who's coming to this party of yours? <laughs> What's he saying? He's saying there'll be some fine-looking weasels. <laughs> some iguanas that need a good man. He's lying. <laughs> and a mongoose named Lynette. Lynette? <laughs> Who likes to shake a booty on the dance floor. <laughs> okay, okay, take a cold shower, Squeaky. I don't get it, Frank. What do they see in him? He, he can't even talk. They like the squeaks. What? Women love a guy who can squeak. That's the number one rule of dating. Oh, they like it when guys go, wee 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 Drives them crazy. Wee-e-wee-e. Oh, shut up. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri.
Watchtower, classic material, control and resistance. Good stuff there. Want to thank everyone for checking out the podcast this week. We had a lot of fun doing it as usual uh, this weekend. Of course, you all will hear this after the fact, but we're going to a wedding and having a little bit of a, I don't know what you would call it, just, it's not really a vacation. <laughs> it's like a working vacation. Yeah. We, it's, it's a vacation that we're reluctantly wanting to go to. Well, it's <laughs> like, hey, come to our wedding, but you have to pay for two nights stay at a hotel, and there's a dress code, and, uh, oh, by the way, you need to come to this other dinner before the wedding. Oh, and, and I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, I'm not even in the wedding. I yeah, I, like, we're, we're just, like, guests, and... I'm not going to get into the whole thing. I'm not going to get into it. But Enhance your calm. If you're paying $400 for two nights in a, in a hotel, and then you're buying new... Yeah, they're not paying it. We you're paying We are. And then you're buying new outfits, and you're doing all these things because you want to participate in this person's wedding. One person, anyway. We don't care about the other party. That's the problem. Yes. But, you know, you're also expected to to give them money and I'm like so how about I just give you this master culture of isopods <laughs> but it, it, it's it's a tough thing to kind of swallow because we have been asked to we, we're happy to go but I know like my dad bought a brand new suit and spent $700 and we are not, we did not do that. Uh, Still spent some money though. But I'm just like, I, I said this to my mom and I did not get a straight answer. It's like, what are you supposed to give someone after you've already, let's just say we spent the money on the hotel. I got a new dress. He got a new uh, outfit. Are we really obligated to give him something? Yes. You're really? still supposed to give them money. No, you said supposed. Are you obligated? Yes. Again, this is my uncle's son. Yeah. My godfather's but son. But there's so many people there. Like, does it really matter? We're well, giving him love. That's what should be I mean, enough. technically, you have a year after the wedding to send a gift. Maybe we'll do that. But, uh... Because money's tight right now. Yeah, it is. But, I, um... I'm still tr unclear on, like, what the expectations are. I mean, I know he was raised to be appreciative of anything you get. You know what I mean? Like, oh, thank you. You gave me a sock. And he would be like that. But his fiance is not like that. Anyway, back to the metal. Sorry. I, I just had one of my things. But anyway... Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. And Absolutely. Here's some classic energetic crusher. The only album they ever did. This is called Lord of Darkness. Okay.